the book. And uh, the, the memory verse today is one that I'm thinking many in this crowd probably actually already have it memorized. It's John 3.16. And John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.16. I want to encourage you to memorize that. This, that particular verse, if you, if you memorize any verse, memorize that verse, because wrapped in that verse is the whole story of the book. The whole story of the word of God the whole story of the Bible it's all wrapped in that if you get that verse then you've got the whole thing uh, all wrapped in one so I really want to encourage you to uh, take some time to be sure that you memorize that verse today as we finish this series I want to just kind of remind you as we're talking about the book the the Bible the word of God that it is very powerful it's powerful to save us for eternity. It's powerful to defend us uh, when temptation comes. It has great value. It, it has value in feeding our soul and spirit. If you're, if you're not feeding your soul and your spirit, if you're only eating once a week on a Sunday morning by listening to someone like me preach it to you, if that's all you're doing, you're starving your soul and spirit. Your soul and spirit need to be fed according to the Word of God as much as your physical body. And so the Word of God has great value to us because it feeds us, it grows us, it corrects us. How many here have ever needed a little, a little adjustment in life? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. My father, he made sure that adjustments happened in my life a number of times. And, uh, and it really ultimately is God in him, you know. But God's word has adjusted me, corrected me. Uh, it, it equips us as well. It's the most reliable, trustworthy, provable book in the world. There is no other book like the Bible. It's extremely, extremely important to us. And oftentimes what people do is that they want to write off the Old Testament and just stick with the New Testament because they say the Old Testament is under the law. We've been freed from the law. And so therefore now uh, we live under grace. It's almost like Paul the Apostle in the book of Romans must have been countered the same kind of stuff because it's almost like people saying, it's okay to sin now because we live under grace. You know, we can get away with stuff now because we are saved not of our works, but we are saved by grace. So therefore, we don't, we don't have to worry. We can do whatever we want to. And, and Paul said to the Romans, he said, what are you thinking? He said, shall, shall we sin so that grace will abound more? He said, absolutely, God forbid. Absolutely not. The Old Testament still has great value to us. The New Testament tells us that all that was written in the Old Testament is there for us as examples so that if we will listen and pay attention to the stories of what happened in the real lives of people that lived before the cross, we will save ourselves a world of hurt. Uh, 
And so we should pay attention to the Old Testament. Some people like to write it off. We don't live under the law, you know, but, you know, the people that say that uh, have not read the New Testament very well because the New Testament clearly tells us there's huge value in the Old Testament. Now, we are going to be talking about uh, today as we talk about the New Testament. We're gonna, we, last week, we did kind of the 30,000-foot the, the view of the Old Testament, just looked at it, how it was set up for some very specific reasons. The reason is, is because people generally just don't seem to know the Bible. They believe in God, but do they know the Word of God? And what do you know about it? And, and how does it affect your life? So we, we took a, a big picture look at it. Today we're going to look at a big picture view of the New Testament. Now if you remember last week we mentioned that the Bible is made up of 66 books. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. And the Old Testament is divided into four sections. Uh, interestingly enough, we divide the New Testament into four sections as well. And we'll look at those, at those four sections and how it is arranged. The, the Old Testament begins with the book of Genesis. It ends with Malachi. The New Testament begins with Matthew, and it ends with Revelation. Now, here's the deal. Between Malachi and Matthew... There are 400 years of time that go by between the last book of the Bible and the first or the last book of the Old Testament and the first book of the New Testament there are there's a 400 year span in which what what we tend to call it theologians call it uh, the silent years <clears throat> it, for some reason, you've got 400 years of time in which there is no inspired revelation of God to people, as there was the Old Testament books and then the New Testament books came. 400 years that just seems as if God is silent. But what was God doing? And it was God actually silent. Certainly there were a lot of people writing books. There were things being written and stuff, but they weren't the inspired word of God where the Holy Spirit literally is speaking what he wants written down and captured for ages to come so that you and I could read as well. So what was going on in those 400 years? Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. I'm going to read this out of the NIV version. Normally we read the New King James Version or the New Living Translation, and we use the ESV as well, a number of translations, but I want to read this one out of the NIV. In Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. <clears throat> when the set time had fully come, God sent his son. Obviously, this is talking about the birth of Jesus. Now, when you read this, there's something really clear here we should pick up on, and that is this, that God had determined, God had set a time in which Jesus would come and be born. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This was a set time. And, and when was this time set? It was set from the very beginning. From the very beginning, God had set a time. If you'd go back to Genesis chapter 3, you would see where, where man had sinned. Adam and Eve, Eve had fallen in sin. They had disobeyed God. 
and be in in a course as we read god told them to take dominion over the earth and to rule over it and so god had put them as kings over the planet under him but in romans it says whoever you give yourself as a slave to obey you become a slave to that one so when they disobeyed god and obeyed the devil now all of a sudden they abdicated the kingship that God had given them over this planet. And the Bible says this, that Satan is the prince and the power of the air. He is the God of this age. And when you look at all the things gone wrong on this planet, people want to blame God, but really they have no one else to blame but look in the mirror. Because sin ushered in the devil's ability to rule this planet. It is a breach of relationship with God in our sin that we abdicated what God gave to us and gave it to the devil because whoever you give yourself as a slave to obey, you become the slave of that one, Romans tells us. And the result of that is is a messed up world, a messed up world. But when God speaks to the serpent in the garden, he says, I want to just tell you something. Here's, here's what, you're going to be more cursed than any other creature. And he tells him this. He said that there's a day coming when, when, your, when the seed of the woman, now he didn't say the seed of the man, he said the seed of the woman. Well, why did he say that? Because Jesus is born of the Virgin Mary. It's not the seed of man, it's the seed of a woman. Jesus, conceived of the Holy Spirit, came. And so he says, the seed of the woman will bruise your head, and your, the seed of you will bruise the heel of that, of that seed of the woman. So basically, you have this thing. Now, now, why the word bruise? Why not kill, destroy the big smackdown or something you know you know why bruise well because a bruise isn't 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 fatal it's it's not the final blow when you think about it when and it says that that's the seed of of the serpent will bruise the heel of the seed of the woman by the way the seed of the woman is a capital s which lets us know it's talking about god come in the flesh jesus as opposed another seed that is a small s and so when when satan bruised the heel in that sense he is he's he is bruising jesus but it's not fatal it's fatal in the flesh but it's not ever it's not forever because jesus rises from the dead but it says that, 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 that uh, Jesus then will bruise the head of Satan. What's it talking about? It's talking about that the authority that Satan has gained by deceiving man, the authority that he has deceived will get broke down just a little bit. Not complete, but it'll get broke down a little bit when Jesus comes. So that every time you or I or anybody in this planet says yes to Jesus the authority of the devil begins to get broken down and is a little bit less. Jesus said it this way. He said, I give you authority over all the power of the enemy. So in this world, anybody who accepts Jesus gets some of the authority of God beginning to operate through him and the the ability of the devil to just operate without any restraint is now limited 
by the power of God in every person who says yes to Jesus. One day, it will be a fatal blow when Jesus comes again as King of kings and Lord of lords. And as, the, as Isaiah prophesies to us in Isaiah chapter 9, when he comes that time, he will establish a kingdom that is permanent and eternal. And the devil will no longer have rule in this planet the way he does. That's coming. All of that God tells about in the beginnings of Genesis, Genesis chapter 3, he tells that story. And what he did way back there in Genesis chapter 3 was set a time in which all of that would begin to happen. The birth of Jesus and his crucifixion and dying for our sins and raising from the dead. So a set time has been established. People don't know what that set time is, but God does. So why the silent years? Well, what was God doing? Well, it's during those 400 years that God is beginning to, to uh, work with what's going on in the world to establish that set time, to, so that that set time can happen. So let me give you an example. In Daniel, Daniel prophesies that the Persian Empire will ultimately get overrun by the Greek Empire. The Greek Empire will get overrun by the Roman Empire. And it's during the Roman Empire's time that the Messiah, the Son of God, will come. Well, by the time you get done with the Old Testament, Malachi, the Persians are still in control. And so God has to work throughout time to now elevate the power of the Greeks through Alexander the Great. And they come into the land of Palestine. They come into the land of Israel. And the people learn Greek. So now all the Israelis, all the Jews are speaking Greek, which the New Testament is written in because of the influence of the Greeks. And then, but, but he's not ready yet because the Messiah, the set time happens after all these things come together. And so now, after the Greeks, God rise, raises up the Romans and the Romans come into power. And things begin to now happen in such a way that the Romans, the Roman Caesar, he appoints... He appoints a man named Herod to oversee things in, in Jerusalem in that area. And what does Herod do? Herod builds the temple and he gets all of that ready because much of what Jesus is going to do is going to be right around that temple area. Some of the things that Jesus prophesied, he would use the temple as an example. Uh, three days, you, you know, this will be built, you know, torn down. It will rise up again in three days. You know, he's talking about himself, but he's standing in front of the temple. So much of what is going to be fulfilled in the set time, see the 400 years was getting all that together. The wise men that come from the east, those guys had to learn the stars and they had to figure all that out. And then they realized that, you know, we'll know when, the, when this, this, this king of, of the Jews comes because this star will be in the heaven. You know, all during that 400 years, God is working all of the things in history to bring us to the place in which that set time will happen so that there will be a fulfillment of, of the word of God, a fulfillment of prophecy. And so you, you start now the, the New Testament uh, with the book of Matthew. And four, the, the New Testament is divided into four sections. Section number one is the Gospels. The Gospels. The Gospels are made up of four books. The first four books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now why are they called the Gospels? They're called the Gospels because the word gospel means good news. 
and good news has come into the world. So the first four books of the New Testament are at the heart of the whole New Testament. Much like the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, as we called it last week, the Pentateuch, those first five books, are at the heart of the whole Old Testament. The New Testament, the heart of it is the first four books, the Gospels, the good news. Now the question could come, why is it's the story of Jesus it's the story of his birth and and his ministry and his life and then ultimately his crucifixion and his resurrection from the dead and four, and four different guys tell the story Matthew Mark Luke and John why not just have one guy tell it you know how come four well the reason that God through the Holy Spirit inspires four different men to write the story is because they are going to be communicating to four different uh, people groups, if we can say it that way. You know, you, it, we, as people, we always view history and even present tense things through our own lens, through the lens of our experience, through the lens of what we've believed. You know, it was, it was really easy for me to believe in Jesus because I don't know if I was a week old. I don't know how old I was when I first went to church, but my dad made sure I was in church. I saw my father... Uh, many times, many times, uh, laying in his bed with his Bible open when I was just a kid growing up. He's getting ready to go to bed because he's got to get up in the morning and milk the cows. And he'd be laying in his bed reading the Bible. You know, uh, I, from a young, young boy, grew up knowing and believing in Jesus without question. And so I view life through that lens and other people through whatever life experiences they had. And so each of these have a responsibility to communicate the gospel in a way that a group of people that were viewing had a worldview based upon their history and their, and their experiences in life. And so God wanted to make sure everybody got the gospel. So look at it. Book number one was Matthew. Who was Matthew writing to? Matthew was writing to the Jews. You know, Matthew had a tough, tough deal going because the Jews had a worldview that the Jews ultimately would have their king on the throne of the planet and they are the power structure of the world. They totally believed what the prophets said, but they misunderstood really what was going on. And so they really saw themselves in kind of elitist form. And so they saw Gentiles and certainly uh, Samaritans uh, in, in very low, low kinds of ways. And they had some real understanding about what their expectation was in the fulfillment of the prophecies. They knew that God was going to send his Messiah into the world. And the religious leaders were very, very intent on proving that Jesus was not the fulfillment of that. Matthew's job is to convince these Jews whose preachers are telling them that Jesus is a fraud... Matthew's job was to convince the Jews that Jesus was not a fraud, he's the real deal. And so you got all of these religious leaders trailing Jesus around trying to prove that he is not the real deal and ultimately make sure that he is crucified. The Jews were a hard group for them to reach and Matthew had to, had to speak to them as people who knew the, the Old Testament. He's speaking to a crowd of people who knew the prophecies and he had to help them understand those prophecies were fulfilled in the person of Jesus. Now, Mark, book, book two, Mark, 
Mark wasn't writing to the Jews. He was writing to the Romans. And the Roman audience was a completely different. Their worldview was completely different. These were the guys that were the power structure of the world. These were the guys who were in control of the planet. These were the guys who saw themselves in a very secure place. How do you get them to come to a place where they recognize their need of a Savior when they think their Roman government is the Savior? How do you get them to understand that Jesus, who they don't even know or care about or believe in, a Jew, and they're Gentiles, and they're pretty, pretty pleased with who they are. How do you get them to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus? The book of Mark is written to these Roman Gentiles, and he's got a different kind of, the same stories, but he's got he's to package it in ways that he's talking to these, these Gentile Romans. Book three is Luke. Luke was re- writing to a Greek audience. He's got to get the, the Greeks, like the Romans, had all kinds of gods. And they had all kinds of beliefs. And the, the Greeks believe they're the smartest people on the planet. Do we have any Greeks in here? <laughs> the Greeks just thought they were the smartest people on the planet. They, they, they're always thinking and arguing and debating. They debate everything. Before Jesus ever came, three extremely well-known philosophers, debaters, uh, come from the, from the Greeks You'll know their name, Plato, Socrates, Aristotle. People still quote those guys today. They were born before Jesus and lived and, and debated stuff about life ever be- even before Jesus came. Now, how are you going to convince these, these philosophers that Jesus is the Messiah? There's only one God, and that's the one you need to worship. It's a whole different deal. In fact, the apostle paul he went to greece and when he went to greece he got to athens and listen to what happens he he has to engage in the debates with these philosophers acts chapter 17 verse 22 and 23 then paul stood in the midst of the oropagus and said men of athens i perceive that in all things you're very religious they got all kinds of gods they they argue these things all the time For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, therefore the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. Oh boy, their ears pricked right up. They want to hear about this. He had great success in establishing churches in Greece. Because these people were very interested in spiritual things. And he was able to make a case to the Greeks about Jesus. And so you have uh, Luke who is writing uh, to these Greeks. And he has to be able to to tell the story of Jesus in a way that these Greeks could understand. The book number four is John. The great thing about John, and I love John, is John is just writing to anybody and everybody else that gets lost between the cracks. He is writing to everybody. And basically what John does, he starts saying, here was the first sign 
that proves that Jesus is the Son of God. He tells a little more of the story, and he says, and that's the second sign that proves that Jesus is the Son of God. And then a little while later, he's telling the story, and this is sign number three. He's putting together a picture for anybody and everybody, whether you're a Jew or Gentile, Greek or Roman or or, uh, uh, English or uh, Spanish or whatever, whatever your heritage is, here is the truth and why you should believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He ends by saying this, John, John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, these particular ones that I've identified for you, these ones that I've told you about, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and the believing you may have life in his name. See, that was the point of all four Gospels. They're trying to convince Jews. They're trying to convince Gentiles, Romans, Greeks, you and I, anybody that'll listen that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And that anybody who will come to that belief, you'll have life in his name. That's that's the heart of the New Testament. You get to the second section, section number two it's the history and like the old testament the old testament second section is history so is the new testament it's only one book long it's the book of acts and and uh, it's it's the story of the disciples and what happens with them after the crucifixion and resurrection of jesus and his ascension uh, up to heaven and uh, it deals with the 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 birth of the church Why was that important? Because Jesus said to Peter, he said, listen, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Again, all the authority that the devil had in the world, God is empowering through the Holy Spirit the church of the living God to do damage to the authority of Satan in this world. And the book of Acts tells the history of how all that began to happen and unfolded. It, it started with 120 people that, that Jesus had said, look, I want you guys to hang out until the promise of the Father comes. And uh, in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out upon people. They blew out of this building having been empowered of the Holy Spirit, and they began to, does your nose itch? Mine does. <laughs> Forgive me. I just need a scratcher on top of it and just can scratch. These 120 went out and they began to to share the gospel, the good news, the story of Jesus with everybody that would listen. Peter got up and preached a sermon. Where did he get his, his, his text? He got it out of the book of the prophet Joel and he talked about David. He talked about uh, things that David had done and said and he used those two Old Testament passages how could he do that we don't believe in the old testament anymore oh yes we do and peter's first sermon was old testament and he used it to point at jesus three thousand people gave their lives to jesus that day and were baptized in water three thousand people gave the opening day of the church the the whole book of acts is about a 35 year period of time that starts the history of the church until the ending chapter when when paul uh, ends up going into to rome and there he is ultimately um, killed for the gospel section number three 
is the letters. We call it the letters. The reason is, is because it is, it's, it's a, just a bunch of letters that, uh, that the apostles wrote to churches and individuals. It's 21 books long. And uh, this, these 21 books begin with the book of Romans, and it ends with the second to the last book of the Bible, Jude. So you got Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. From Romans all the way through to Jude, those are the letters. They're written to churches and individuals by the apostles. Uh, the first 13 of them, Romans through Philemon, were all written by the apostle Paul. Uh, they were written to churches. They were written to the Romans. They were written to uh, an individual like Philemon, to, to uh, Titus as an individual, to Timothy as an individual, uh, to churches like the Ephesians and the Colossians and, and uh, so on. He, he's writing letters, uh, the first 13 of them, all written by the Apostle Paul. The next one, Hebrews, you know, theologians debate over who actually wrote that. You know, we often give that to Paul as well, and it may well have been Paul, but no one knows with real certainty. The only thing we do know is the inspired word of God, that someone received this revelation from God that they put down as the book of Hebrews. Then you have, after that, uh, the next seven. And the next seven books uh, are all written by other apostles. So you have uh, books by Peter and James and John and Jude. Uh, all of those letters written by those apostles, seven of them by those men. And, and we all know who Peter is, and we all know who John is. Most people think they know who James is, but they're wrong. Uh, Peter, of course, is one of the disciples, and also John was one of the disciples, a lot of people think that James was also one of the disciples of Jesus, as in Peter, James, and John. But the Peter, James, and John is not the James that wrote the book of James. The, book, the guy who wrote the book of James is the brother of Jude who wrote the second to the last book of the Bible. They are brothers. They have the same mother. They have the same father. And the two of them, both of them, are half-brothers to Jesus. Now, how could you be a half-brother to Jesus? The reason they are half-brothers is because they both had, uh, all three of them, Jesus, James, and Jude, had the same mother, Mary. But Jesus' father was not Joseph. Joseph was the father of James and Jude, but not Jesus, because Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit. His father is God in heaven. She was, she was conceived of the Holy Spirit and as a virgin gave birth to Jesus. And so they have the same mother, but a different father. And James and Jude are brothers who then are related to Jesus through their mother Mary. These letters are filled with instructions to the churches. They, they, give, they give doctrine, teachings about the nature of God in his relationship with people. They they, uh, they write encouragement and they give correction and, and even rebuking people at times. But those letters are meant to, to help the church and leaders of the church and the church itself to understand God and live for him every day of their life. Second, the last section, section number four, is the consummation. The consummation uh, means completion. 
completion. It's the book of Revelation. It's the book of Revelation. The first book of the Bible, Genesis, tells about the beginning. Revelation, the last book of the Bible, tells about the ending. And uh, uh, when you think about the book of Revelation, Revelation is the revelation of Jesus Christ to John, the disciple of Jesus. John had been banished by the Roman government to the island of Patmos because of his faith in the Lord, and uh, he was banished uh, there to the island of Patmos uh, after he had experienced some pretty severe torture by the Romans literally and and there is roman history that that talks about this literally boiled in oil miraculously came out of that boiling oil completely whole the same way that these these uh, three hebrew children of the old testament went into the fire and nebuchadnezzar looks in there and says i thought i threw three guys in there i see four and how come these guys are still walking around in that fire and they came out unhurt uh, history tells us that John was boiled in oil, survived it, and that many of the people in the, the Colosseum where that took place uh, actually came to believe in God because of the miracle of that event. And John was banished to the Isle of Patmos, and he says this, I was in the Spirit, in the Revelation, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Essentially what he's saying is, I was in prayer on a Sunday morning. He said, then he heard a voice behind him. It was one that he recognized. It says that he turned and he looked around and he saw seven golden lampstands. And there was one, he said, like the Son of Man standing in the midst of the golden lampstands. And he fully recognized that one who was Jesus. And he describes him, he says that, that who he saw was this one who, had, who was clothed in white all the way down to his feet. His hair was white like wool, white as snow. His, he had a band of gold around his chest, and his feet were like fine brass. And when he, in his eyes, his eyes were like a flame of fire. And when he spoke, his, his voice sounded like the sound of many waters. And Jesus said, don't be afraid. Because John, John kind of fell down. The Bible said, John said, I fell down like I was dead. I mean, it just overcome him. And Jesus said, said, John, you know, don't be afraid. And then Jesus said, I got some things I need you to tell the churches. And so he talks to the churches and he says, whoever, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Over and over again, he says to the church, John, tell the church, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And once Jesus got done, an angel appears and says, John, you come up here. I must show you some things. And then he, John begins to see the unveiling of what yet must come in the book of Revelation. He shows it all. Everything, everything, from start to finish, Genesis to Revelation, all points to the person of Jesus, that he is the one and only Son of the living God that there is none other but him, and that this world, having broken relationship with God in the, in the very beginning, sin having come into the world, destroying this world, God put into motion all the things that would bring us to a set time 
in which Jesus came the first time and will lead us to another set time in which Jesus will come again. But this next time, he will not be coming again, as the Bible says, as a lamb to the slaughter. This time, not just simply to bruise the head. The head is a symbol of authority. Not just simply to bruise the authority of the devil, but to once and all, as the Bible says in the New Testament, to crush him under the foot of Jesus completely ending the authority of the devil in this world. And, and when you go through the whole Bible, everything focuses that way to point at the person of Jesus. So here's the story in a nutshell. God created. We rebelled. God redeemed us. God sends us. God created. We rebelled in sin. But God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God redeems us. And then God sends us. Now, when you look at all of the story and it comes down to that, you know that we have a responsibility. We live in a lost world that's going into an eternity without God unless you and I know his word empowered by it gain great value from it. it we feed upon it we grow in it we it equips us it corrects us helps us to live our mission here is to reach the unchurched raise up mature christians we, we're pretty good at making sure we've been reached but then you know that raising up mature christians there's an accountability to living the word of god and holding each other to that and then being released to do the work of the ministry. God sends us. I'll close with this verse. It's Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. Jesus is, is uh, there, and it says this, And being assembled together with them, Jesus commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. For John truly baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the holy spirit not many days from now therefore when they had come together they asked him saying lord will you at this time restore the kingdom to israel are you finally going to be the king on the on the throne it's, it's still struggling with that jewish mentality that they were all expected that's why that's why matthew had to speak to the jews are you going to restore the kingdom now and, and he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Well, how come? And you shall be witnesses. I'm sending you. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel who also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. He is coming again. And when he comes, he comes as king. And that's why the Bible tells us in Revelation that the devil's all stirred up because he knows his time is short. And you and I have been given the most precious of responsibilities, and that is to carry the good news. 
everywhere we can to tell people about Jesus. Not to, not to let someone else do it. Well, that's the preacher's job. Not to buy into the, to the, the losing philosophy of the world that is a philosophy that has been administrated by the spirit of this world, the God of this age, who does not want people to know. In fact, it says, has blinded, the God of this age has blinded the eyes of faith from what? From knowing the truth that faith in God was not meant to be private and personal locked into a building on the very first day that the church was born it blew out of the building and they took it out into the streets the highways and the byways and they started telling everybody and it spread it spread from, from Israel. It spread all over the land of Israel into Lebanon, and from Lebanon into Syria, and from Lebanon and Syria up into Turkey, and from Turkey into Greece, and from Greece into Italy, and from Italy over to India under Thomas, one of the apostles, and from, from there into England, and from there into Russia, and from there down into China, and across the seas into, into Latin America, and up into the land you and I live in. It's spread and why did it spread because jesus said i'm going to empower my church through the holy spirit to take the word of god the good news out see every one of us have been given that responsibility it's not just one and it's not meant to stay in the inside the building it's meant to go outside the building people need to know the lord the only question really is in closing is who will you invite who will you you tell your story to it doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be lengthy. It doesn't have to be with, with, you know, connected to the end of a, of a hammer. You know, We love people with the gospel. Just tell your story. Just tell how you come to know Jesus. Tell somebody and invite them. Invite them where they can hear the truths of the word of God because this book is the most important book in the entire world. It tells the story of God and us. It tells the story of God in you. Just bow your head with me, would you? As we prepare to close, I just want to just give opportunity quickly. If you happen to be here today and you haven't said yes to Jesus, now is a really good time to do it. Now is a good time to say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I, I want to have a relationship with a God who, who loved me and made it possible that I could have eternal life. If that's you, just lift your hand and put it right back down, uh, and we're going to pray. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And if you're here today as well, I just want to encourage you, take, take the story of God and us to people. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them about it. Know the Bible. Know it well enough that you can tell his story because he did something absolutely awesome to save us from our sins that they might have eternal life in heaven. And you know people that need that, that need to know that truth. Talk to them. Invite them. Pray for them that God will be able to capture their hearts. Father, we come to you in, in, in the wonderful, precious, and powerful name of a loving Lord, Jesus. In fact, the book tells us this, that there is no other name, no other name given among men under heaven, on earth, in hell, anywhere. No other name by which we could be saved. Muhammad can't save us. 
Hare Krishna can't save us. Buddha can't save us. A thousand other names of a thousand other gods cannot save us. Absolutely none. There is no other name by which we can be saved. As Jesus said, He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man can come to the Father except through Him. So Lord, for those today who would lift their hand and say, Jesus, I need you and want you in my life. I thank you, Lord, for hearing them and forgiving Lord's sin and establishing relationship with them that is eternal. Help them to know you and grow in you. And help all of us, Lord, to be inviters that, Lord, someone else will know the same God that we do, the only God that exists. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hopefully you, you uh, learned some things about the Bible over these last weeks and uh, just keep growing in it. Just keep growing in the Bible. Would you stand? There's no cafe, but there may be well some donuts in there and plenty of coffee. So love you all. See you real soon. Give someone a squeeze around you.